Recovery works because we're not all crazy on the same day. Andrew Wilkinson joins us from Granite Mountain Behavioral Healthcare. He talks about somatic experiencing, approaching our bodies as a connected body and mind. He talks about regulation in our nervous system and healing it from within in order to regain control of our lives in recovery. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Nider. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. The Illuminate Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Illuminate Billing Advocates. Make billing and collection simple with leader in substance abuse and mental health billing services. Verification and analysis of benefits, pre-authorizations, utilization management, accurate claim submission and management, denial and appeal management, and industry-leading reporting. Improve your practice's cash flow and your ability to help your clients with Illuminate Billing Advocates. Today on the Illuminate Recovery Podcast, Kurt and I are uh, really uh, pleased to be able to welcome Andrew Wilkinson. Andrew is a somatic experiencing and neuroaffective relational model practitioner. Um, he works at Granite Mountain Behavioral Healthcare, and he also does some consult- consulting on the side. Um, primarily assisting individuals in navigating their way through adversity and accumulated stress while bringing lasting recognition to their innate ability to heal, self-regulate, and build resiliency. Andrew, thanks for being willing to um, talk with us today. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on. Of course, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful to be here. Um, so as a, as a therapist, um, I would love to kind of talk about and maybe have you share a little bit about how you ended up in the somatic experience and neuroaffective relational model um, of practice and, and what drove you there, what took you to, the, to that approach. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a long story that I can, you know, give in the reader's digest version, but, you know, throughout the path of my own recovery, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in recovery and have been for quite a while. I had to seek my own treatment quite a few times, right? Uh, I have personal experience with trauma. And so, you know, really that's, that's what drew me to this field is, is my own lived experience with this. But, you know, coming in 2010 and then starting to really observe what are the core issues, right? Um, looking at why and why is it that, you know, treatment is really effective for some people. Addiction treatment is primarily what I work in. And, and why is it not for others? And so I was working in many different roles. I've been in the administrative side and the you know, program development side and, you know, even the, the billing side and, um, landed with a you know really wonderful supervisor at one point who was a somatic experiencing practitioner himself, and he he was so excited about this modality, 
knowing this person and trusting him, I just started to ask quite a few questions. And I started to attend the trainings in 2016 really on a whim and wanting to know more myself. And within a, you know the first couple days of this module that I was in, uh, you know, to put it in short, I was, I was kind of hooked. It just it made all too much sense to me. And there, there was a lot of information uh, about what the holes are, you know, what I, what I see wrong with people healing in general. And so my curiosity was sparked and I, I really ran with it. And so then I, I ended up getting certified in somatic experiencing and finishing the training and started assisting some of the training and, you know, getting close to the teachers involved with that organization. Uh, and, and really, you know, since then have been applying it to every time I'm involved with a client, uh, I, I am, I have this modality in the back of my mind. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of unlearn these things once you learn them, because it, again, it illuminates so many of the holes that, that I see in, in what clients are receiving nowadays in treatment, both for, you know, your straight up substance use and mental illness. So that's how I, you know, really started to engage in somatic experiencing. It, it wasn't anything but a suggestion of someone I trusted. And then, you know, I found out how helpful it was. So I continued with it. That's awesome. And somatic experiencing, although it's, it's probably not as new as maybe it feels, it's been around for a long time, but I think it's becoming, it's starting to get a, a, a much better foothold and a better understanding of how it helps people and how it affects people. Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah, I definitely would. I think it's it's definitely gaining traction. Now, again, I, I've uh, only been aware to it since 2016. But in my experience, when I tell people, oh, I do this thing, somatic experiencing, nine times out of ten, they, they don't know what that is. Um, in, in the treatment world, of course, it's becoming a bit more familiar, but primarily, uh, you know, EMDR and, and the more classic cognitive therapies that have been around, those are more, people are more familiar with those than, than SE. So Shelly's smart, and she probably knows what you're talking about, but I fit into the <laughs> 9 out of 10, so I don't even know what somatic experiencing is. Can, what, can you explain it to me? Sure. Yeah, I can do my best. It's so somatic experiencing. It is a it's, it's a bottom up processing, right? So, so most therapies, to my understanding, um, and I'm I'm pretty simple minded myself. You know, uh, my only ex, my only education is is really through experience being in the field and then getting certified in somatic experiencing, but. You know, how it compares to other therapies is we're really looking at the body and the mind as the same thing. Uh, you know, having grown up uh, in America, right, like we do separate the two quite a bit. Uh, it's my understanding that in other countries and, and some more Eastern philosophies that they haven't really distinguished between the body and the mind, right? They're, they're very connected. Uh, but here, and receiving my own treatment, it was, it was almost always cognitive and very thought-based, which is really helpful, don't, don't get me wrong, but um, when we do FE, we're involving the stress response. And so our belief is that within the nervous system, the stress response has been thwarted or it's been, uh, you know, shocked in a way that it has altered the way we react to everyday life, right? 
there's certain hormones that our nervous system is pumping through our bodies, specifically cortisol and, and all these things that, that help us adapt to just everyday anxieties and dangers. And when our nervous system is dysregulated, we're not going to have a normal response. Um, and we're going to, you know, have a lot of different, you know, bodily issues, uh, which involves, involves the cognitive and, and our understanding. So yes, somatic really, uh, when we talk about healing from within, it is, it is that in the truest sense. So we're paying a lot of attention to, uh, someone's, you know, feelings and sensations and not just the stories that they're telling us. I know that was kind of a long-winded response, and I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, um, and do correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm still learning a lot about this approach. Um, you know, I've heard about it for years, but there's still a lot that we need to learn. But I think it's, um, it kind of comes from, a lot of it comes from um, Bessel van der Kolk and his Body Keeps the Scorebook in that idea that our cells and and all of those pieces in our body keep those memories and they hold on to them. And if we can't um, experience that and become aware of that, then our body, you know, it ends up coming out sideways and that's where we get that emotional dysregulation in a, in a nutshell. I said that pretty simply. No, I think you explained it much better than I did. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, I, I'm an overthinker, right? Which is probably why I'm attracted to this. But uh, there's there's so many ways to describe it, but that's really it. And as far as far as Bessel uh, van der Kolk, I know that uh, Dr. Peter Levine, the creator of somatic experiencing, and Bessel are uh, close, right? And and I know that they have interacted quite a bit on the topic of trauma. Um, but but that that book is always a wonderful reference to learn about you know, somatics involved with trauma. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought up Peter Levine, too, because I believe he is highly involved in these training, um, in, in some yeah. somatic training. Yeah. Is that who you got yours through? So I didn't. He, I have, I have done some consultation with Peter, and I've seen him briefly, but um, he does most of the advanced level and, you know, specific trainings. Now, the general, to get certified in somatic experiencing training, there's a, a ton of different faculty that have been around since the, the dawn um, that are, are doing those. And I received my training from uh, Dr. Joshua Silvey. Awesome. Yeah, there are some really great practitioners out there. And I think that maybe, Andrew, if you're willing, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about you know, you talked about the holes that, you know, our traditional CBT or EMDR trauma therapy, um, t there tends to be holes in that approach. Can you kind of share some of the thoughts of, of how somatic experiencing um, approach filled those holes and those gaps for you? Sure. Yeah, that's a really great question. And yeah, I, I look at it as what does trauma impact? And, you know, what we know now and uh, what we see is that it doesn't just impact the mind. And if we're only dealing with the thought process of trauma, we're only seeing a, a portion of the issue, right? Um, you know, we, we see in, in SE, we see that, you know, the, the imprint of trauma, like you said, the, the memories being stored in the body, 
are really large. And so a client could be discussing an instance in their childhood and telling me their thought process around it. Meanwhile, you know, in, in their body, they could ex experience very intense emotions and sensations. And so for myself as a practitioner to not pay attention to the sensations and emotions and really hone in on the, the thought process, they may, they may find new meaning. Uh, they may find some different strategies to use when, when triggered in, in their thinking, but they're really not going to catch the entire integration of, of healing, in my opinion, right? They, they may leave the office and maybe they feel a bit more ramped up. Maybe they feel a bit more activated by what was talked about because it's all kind of, kind of hanging out in, in that prefrontal cortex, you know, in the part of the brain where we're obsessing and we're, and we're thinking and, and we're going back and trying to figure out. And, um, you know, that can actually produce more stress, in my opinion. So, you know, when we start to incorporate the emotions and the sensation. And even sometimes pay more attention to that than the stories and the thoughts themselves. Uh, to me, that's the, that's the full picture, right? And, you know, when a client can experience uh, a feeling of calm and settling in their body, that's, that's a big win. That's a big win. And especially with me dealing with mainly substance abuse clients, for them to feel good in their body again, sober, hmm. that is a ginormous deal. Like that's, that's really what they've been trying to achieve for quite a while. Um, and I have found that, you know, when just dealing with the thought process, they're not going to be able to experience that tangible settling that comes from, from SE. Yeah. And I totally agree. Is it, it's all one unit, right? The body, the mind, the, the emotions, yeah. the spirit, it's all, it's all intertwined. And if you're only looking yeah. at one part of it, I mean, there's, there's, you know, a theory that says if you change one part, it changes the other, which is true, but there's a limit to that, I think is what you're saying. And, and if you want a deeper healing, you've got to be able to connect all of those, those integrative information flowing parts of our body so that there's wholeness and there's the capacity to do that, that emotional regulation. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you've talked yeah, about that yeah, and you've talked about emotional regulation as part of um, part of the somatic experiencing um, approach. Uh, talk talk about what how what role that that I mean you've talked about it a little bit, but go into a little bit more depth or maybe relate it back to your recovery of how emotional regulation was super powerful and important. Totally, yeah. I you know regulation is kind of a buzzword these days. I, I see it a lot with other healers and practitioners, and, and I hear it quite a bit. Um, everyone's trying to get regulated, right? Or, oh, they don't, they don't have any regulation. Um, when I first came into this SE world, I, I thought that regulation was a synonym for calm, you know, that, that everything is okay, and we can be mindful, and we can be present, which those are wonderful things, right? Um, but my, my teacher says it best, and I'll just you know quote him directly, but he said, regulation is responding appropriately to environmental contingency. Meaning, if something is, is, is stressful in our life, the uh, response to that, something in our life is appropriate. If something is making us angry, of course, you know, feel a healthy amount of anger. So, 
is about bringing, again, I, I think I've mentioned this multiple times, we're bringing to the people to stress. Um, and there is a way that we were designed uh, to respond to stress. And so, you know, regulation, you know, for me and my personal experience was first off realizing that uh, metaphorically, like my check engine light in my body was very off. Right. Um, if, if I'm engaging in substances to cope with with life, something is going on. Right. There, there's a need to numb and there's a need to shut down. Uh, and there wasn't always that need. And so, you know, untreated trauma creates these responses that, you know, I would I would use the word as, as inappropriate. Uh, when when we should be alert and alive, we, we shut down or when we should have that healthy form of anger, uh, instead, you know, we, we do something different. Maybe we don't even approach, maybe we avoid, you know? So there's these, these things in our life that we are getting into that, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm losing it a little bit, but it's, uh, we're, not, like, we're not responding appropriately, you know? And, and when I'm regulated, I'm feeling appropriate emotions that are parallel to my experience. Well, and it's interesting what you bring up too with emotions is because we've been conditioned for so long to respond in certain ways, right? Um, men, yeah. it's men, it's okay to have anger and experience anger and ex- express anger, but it's not okay for women. Or sure, y- sure, you know, ch- a child should be heard and not seen and. Some of those cultural messages have been sent for a long time, and we're trying to undo some of those as well as, I mean, because you talk about what's an appropriate response, and in my head, I'm like, well, sometimes I just don't know what the appropriate response is. Do I have permission, you know, to call you out and say, I didn't really like the way you just responded to me, and and is that safe, right? And so even even someone who who gets this stuff might be asking those questions and, and wondering what is an appropriate response. So when you've had trauma and when you've had, you know, when you've been sent messages, especially as a, and I'll use this as a kid, if you've been abused, your boundaries have been violated all over the place. Right. And, and you don't even know what healthy boundaries are. And now you're coming into this, this world where you've been coping with by self-medicating, which is a, which is a valid way to, to, to work and, and, and be able to manage the stuff that's happening. And now you're going to try and do it sober and you don't have the skills or the ability to do that because it was never modeled for you. You was never taught to you and you really have no frame of reference. And so I think if we don't address those pieces of how do, what is an appropriate response? What are appropriate emotions? What does that look like? You've got to experience all of that inside your body before you even can address how do I respond to somebody else, right? Totally. Yeah, and I'm thinking about a question I ask clients often. When we're processing, usually it's, it's abuse that this question comes up, and I, and I say something to the effect of, if you could have done absolutely anything in, in that moment, what would you have liked to do? And I was speaking with a client not too long ago who endured some some physical abuse. And what they said is they wish they could have, you know, just flown away, right, and and exited. And, yeah, that goes beyond the laws of physics, right? But what they wanted to do is they wanted to run and they they wanted to exit from the situation that was very dangerous as a child. And 
so in SE, we may spend a while uh, really visualizing that, right? We, we call it a, a corrective experience because that's what the system wanted to do. Uh, the system knew that, you know, for this, this child, that they could not fight back, right, against this abuse and that they needed to leave, though they weren't able to, right? And so really we're, we're asking that what, what did the system want to do rather than the mind? And, and the system always wants to seek safety. That's, that's really what the nervous system is wanting to do. Does that answer your question a bit? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a great. I love the way you bring that up in this sense of you know, as a child who doesn't have a lot of choices, it's not like they can escape some of that abuse because they need. It's that very sometimes that very person who is their primary caregiver that is also hurting them creates all sorts yeah. of you know confusing messages to that child, and and they don't know how to escape it or that it's even possible to escape it, which what you bring up is then that's where dissociation comes from. They want to run yeah, and they just yeah. run inside, right? They just run inside and, mm-hmm. and disconnect from all of that painful world outside of them. And, and by allowing them to go look at those emotions and experience that event again um, in a safe environment allows the body to reprocess it in a more healthy, normal, fashion with time with distance right with all of those things that get left out when the the hippocampus and the hypothalamus and all of those pieces of the brain are not functioning because it's in survival mode right and and the prefrontal cortex yeah. shuts down so you're, you're talking about some super complex pieces of recovery yeah. but i totally agree right that you cannot yeah. ignore those pieces. And um, one way that I love thinking about it is that window of tolerance, right? When we're self-regulating, it's the ability to stay within a window or increase that window of tolerance or the tolerance that we have for really uncomfortable situations so that we can stay and look at them and respond differently than we did when we were a child or when we were using or felt unsafe, right? So. I love I love talking about this stuff. As you can tell, it's fascinating to me, and the way our our minds and bodies um, can heal themselves and have the capacity to heal themselves um, is something else we ought to talk about. I know that um, yeah. that in as we introduced you, you talked about our innate ability to heal and self regulate and build resiliency. Can you give us some examples of what that might look like in your journey? Sure. Yeah, I, I think about uh, also in my training, all these, these great little nuggets that I received. And one of the first things we did is, you know, we, we got in partners and we sat across uh, from just another member of the training. And we were prompted to, you know, look at this individual as our client, right? Kind of a role play. And see them within the regard that they have everything they need to heal. And that's kind of an interesting concept, at least to me, uh, being a practitioner and someone coming to me for assistance with their healing, right? Uh, that I am a provider and I am here to, you know, bring something to them that they, they don't uh, have, right? So, so my belief, and I've seen this in myself absolutely, is, is that we already have all of these abilities to regulate and to calm ourselves or to 
you know, process trauma on our own, but again, it's, it's been interrupted. And it, there's, there's been, you know, kinks that have come in the, in the normal processing that we need another person to shine a light on that. That's not to say that, you know, once our stress response is altered, it never goes back to normal. It absolutely can come back to normal. I think that, you know, this process of SE is much more about subtraction than it is addition. You know, we're, we're subtracting all of these maladaptive coping skills and these responses that haven't served us to get back to this idea um, that we were, we were created to seek safety. And when we're able to tune in to our own systems, lo and behold, it's there, right? I can't tell you how many times I've, I've seen a client get so activated, they look like they're about to jump out of their chair. And then we slow things down and I'm like, hey, let's just, let's turn the breathing over to the lungs. I want you to watch yourself breathe for a second. Maybe just notice what's going on in the body. And then slowly but surely, like I start to see something change. And, and all I'm doing is just making certain prompts, right? I'm not, I'm not giving them a handout. I'm not giving them any information that they need to study. They're just tuning into their body's ability to regulate their heartbeat, regulate their stress hormones. And then, you know, they, they see this and it's tangible. And so, you know, when I think of the word innate, it's just that it's always been there, right? And we haven't seen it for a while, and, and I didn't see it for a long while. Uh, and then, you know, I, I remember leaving some of my own personal SE sessions thinking, golly, like, I, I can bring this anywhere. I can access this at any point, right? I don't have to wait until, you know, my next session with my therapist. I can utilize these techniques as, as I go throughout my life, that it's with me. I love the way you explain that too, Andrew, is, you know, it's the idea, and you talked about having a, you know, a facilitator, I like to use that word, a facilitator, somebody to help shine a light on something that seems so typical and usual and um, familiar, but then when you shine the light on it and you can look at it just a little bit deeper, it shifts those things inside of our bodies. <clears throat> And the thing that, that you said is sometimes we need help in doing that. And, and I, will, I will tell you that I've been doing processing for a long time, my own work and work with other people. And there is something yeah. about connecting with another human being that is healing in many ways. And not just in the witnessing, because witnessing and having witnesses to our pain and validation for that is super vital. But there is something about having somebody else stand outside of your process and be able to shine that light or help you see it that's super powerful. And that doesn't take away from your own internal wisdom because what you say is correct. We, we innately bring all of those capacities within ourselves and we bring them to the table. We have that wisdom. It's there. But tapping into it and having someone help us tap into it um, is incredibly empowering um, so I love the way you talked about that, Andrew, um, and, and kind of shared that experience. I, I think sometimes it feels a little bit intangible that how do you explain to somebody how we're going to go process this stuff and we're going to go work through it except to just go do it, right? <laughs> that, that, that's really it, Shelley. I, uh, every time I, I, again, every time I get asked, like, hey, what is, what is the FD? The, the answer is let me show you. 
right? Because it has to be experienced. It, it is very difficult to explain to a, a client how we're going to be uh, paying attention to sensation and emotion. And at least in the demographic I'm working with, they've never been asked these questions. This is completely, you know, unfamiliar. And, and I don't know, I, I don't know many kids that their parents said, hey, like, where do you notice that anxiety in your body? <laughs> Can you feel that? I, I for sure was not asked that. Uh, would have been kind of cool if I was. So, yeah, this is a it's really unfamiliar, and it's, it's a very different way of being with ourselves that we have to get to know, right? And we have to kind of befriend this, this part of ourselves. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, and I love I love the way you talk about it. Talk a little bit um, about the work that you're doing at Grant, Granite Mountain Behavioral Health Care, what they do there, what makes them different, because I know you said that you've really enjoyed working there and, and it's been a good experience. So talk about that just a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, what I really enjoy about working at Granite and I just mentioned is the demographic I get to work with. I mean, these are folks who are primarily coming out of incarceration. Um, they, uh, it's, it's a, you know, basically a, a state-funded facility. And so they are, you know, coming in here is, is really the last resort uh, or the last house on the block, so to speak. Um, and most of them have not had access or the ability to access proper therapy. Or proper clinical help and so you know that's that's what I really love is, is feeling that what we're providing to these clients is, is something that they wouldn't be able to get elsewhere right and you know secondly it's it's a treatment program that incorporates exercise so we have uh, we call it strength-based empowerment therapy I don't run it uh, but there's some, some other people who run it, and it's it's kind of like CrossFit, uh, but it's a bit lighter because, of course, people coming in aren't in the best physical shape. And so they're able to uh, exercise multiple times a week and also engage uh, the brain and the body as they're doing it, right? So we really see it as, as full healing. And why I think that's such an, a, a huge thing for, for people getting sober and also doing somatic experiencing is again, they're able to, to feel that like tangible difference of, of exercise. And I'm, I'm thinking about a client we had come in who, you know, had a lot of trauma, like most of them do. And he was pretty shut down. He, he was in what we call the, the freeze response, you know, which I personally relate to. I had lived a long period of my life in that response. And he's going through treatment and then he goes to his first, uh, it's called Recover Strong. That's the program that they do. He went to his first Recover Strong class where he was moving the body and he was exercising probably for the first time in years. Uh, and he had to take a moment. He just started weeping. He went around the corner and he was just bawling his eyes out. And he couldn't exactly explain why. But what I think was going on there is that as he was working out, his nervous system was, was running, right? The heart rate was up. Uh, certain hormones were being produced in the body that probably haven't been there in a long time. And he was able to discharge uh, little bits of, of the stress that he was holding. And so being an SE practitioner who works for a treatment center that involves exercises, there's already an opening to talk about the body. 
because that right there is somatic experiencing what what this client went through and so that's a pretty big draw for me to work with this company and on a very basic level uh some of these people are my closest friends i've known them for a long time and so that's really nice to work with other clinicians um, and administrators that I, I trust in what they're doing and uh, I also know them personally and I know their process right and they're in it they're in it for heart um, so I'd say all of those things really encompass what what draws me to to granite mm, I love it and I, you know I love the way you talk about one the you know the somatic experiencing and processing that way but you also spent some time talking about how important movement and exercise um, is and it is because again you're connected to the body um and and it brings up those memories on some way or you know on some level it it reminded me a book that that i absolutely love it's called spark um, the revolutionary new science of exercise and the brain it's by john rady and he goes in Mm -hmm. depth about talking about how exercise impacts mental illness, depression, anxiety, and, and other disorders that people struggle with. And it can be as beneficial as medication. Um, and so exercise should not be minimized. It is super important. And I think the industry's probably got that, uh, you know, most of us have that figured out that you're not going to do good, wholesome, whole, you know, whole body healing without incorporating that yeah. part. Yeah, it's it's funny too. I, I have that book on my bookshelf right now, and it's one of the many books that I'm like, one day I'm gonna <laughs> sit down and, and really get into that. Oh yeah, that's uh, a good one. I, I've heard nothing but good things about Spark, and I know it's right in line with uh, what what they're doing at Granite. And I couldn't I couldn't agree more. You know, I think exercise is really underutilized in the medical world, of course. Right? I think most people are catching on to that by now. But what I think is so cool about the exercise portion, especially for those who experience anxiety and activation, or as we would say, you know, the, the fight or flight, um, when we're exercising and our nervous system is moving in that way, it, it really is parallel to someone's experience with anxiety, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the heart rate is up and they're sweating, there's perspiration, uh, you know, thoughts are, are probably doubtful. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this, you know, and, and that's, that's a lot like anxiety for someone, you know, that experiences it on a daily basis, but in exercise, we're, we're, we're producing that ourselves. And so I think if anything, on a basic level, when a client comes in and starts exercising, they're able to normalize their experience of physical anxiety and also not, not be as resistant to it. And I'm sure that book, uh, spark illuminates that so much more. Um, but that's something that's been a, a really great uh, discussion point for myself with, with clients. Yeah, well, and that idea that anxiety, not for everybody, I won't say this is true for everybody, but anxiety often feels the same as being really excited, like you talked about when yes, we're working out, yes, right? Yeah. It has a lot of the same characteristics and and it may be a lot, it can be, not necessarily, because it can be, you know, biological as well, but it's the story we tell ourselves about those feelings that can often keep us in a downward spiral. <clears throat> so interesting that you bring that up. I like it. I like the approach, and I like the work that you're doing. I'm wondering if I could ask you maybe maybe kind of a, 
maybe it's not a wrap-up question, but but I'm wondering what if you had to quantify, and this would be maybe hard to quantify, but what was one of the hardest things um, as you went through your recovery? One of the hardest things that you had to approach or deal with. You know what? Yeah, it's uh, it would probably be relapse. You know, and, and this idea of addiction and alcoholism as a progressive disease and thinking that if I have the information and I have the self-knowledge that I'll be okay, right? That, that I, I need to be provided with enough information about my uh, maladaptive behaviors and I'm going to be able to conquer uh, this sobriety thing. But, you know, with my personal recovery, I've had times of, of recovery that were very constant, and I've had relapses after that fact where, you know, the, the self-knowledge and, and the information I had, it, it helps, don't get me wrong, but it, it has nothing against active craving and obsession. And so it was very difficult uh, for me to get to a place of, of regulation. And Effie had a really big part with that. I... For me personally, being less in my brain and more in my body is a very healthy thing. Uh, when I hang out in my brain too much, especially as an individual uh, with addiction, I, I can really get wrapped up in, in things that just aren't real, things that aren't true. Um, and so, yeah, something, you know, there was a huge overcoming for me was, was coming back from relapses. And opening Pandora's box each time when I would return to substances and thinking that I wouldn't be able to make it back. You know, and, and my own therapy has, has been really important. And also my, you know, involvement in specific recovery fellowships has been, uh, I, I would say, uh, equal, if not even more important to yeah. that. So I hope that answers your question. But the, the idea of relapse is, it's a tricky one, you know, mm -hmm. and, and there's this chronic relapse thing and, and all these ideas we have about people returning back to substances and you know sometimes our lives get so darn chaotic where we're just trying to seek safety again and if we don't have the you know if we're not able to get in touch with that in a healing we will return to something that worked <laughs> right and in in my mind as an addict in recovery drugs and drugs and alcohol did uh, work at one point that is my fantasy, that they were working to treat something. And so if I don't find a proper solution, I, I will return to that. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I have, you know, my own journey of, you know, getting getting over those and, and coming back to, to healing. So. Well, that's two really powerful concepts and ideas is the relapse because there's, you know, there's so much shame that's been, I don't know, shame it's shame however it's come right it used to come from the way we did treatment and it also comes from our own self-loathing and you know feeling like we're not worthy and so that shame is alive and well and being able to to combat the shame by coming back into treatment and going i must need to learn some more things i might not have it all and let's let's go back and figure out what's missing you know, in a very yeah. non-shaming way is really great. And then you also talked about relationships being absolutely pivotal for you. 
Um, talk about yeah. that for just a second. And are you saying relationships is just connections and? Yes. How, how did relationships? Recovery? Yeah. How did that affect your recovery, and why was it so important? Oh, I mean, for me personally, it's everything. Uh, you know, it's something that I've heard from mentors of mine is, is recovery works because we're all not crazy on the same day. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, is, that is so true to me. You know, it works because with the people around me, whether it be someone else who's a part of a, a certain fellowship or whether it be a colleague or whether it be a therapist, you know, it, it ultimately these connections are really helpful because they don't have my mind uh, talking in their head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, our views of ourselves and our own process, is just very skewed. And, and I have to recognize that right off the bat. Like, I really wish uh, that I knew everything about myself and that I could kind of be the CEO of my own process, but it's not true. And so, you know, these other connections for me, they're really there as uh, just people that check my reality for me and, and, and really bring me back to what's really happening. Um, and I've had the experience of, you know, probably overworking, right? engaging in like some workaholic behavior and connections in my life becoming less and less important and you know burning out and then feeling very uh, isolated and alone in recovery and and not exactly knowing where to turn and feeling very resistant you know mm-hmm. and the only thing that's brought me out of that is by by connection the people around me certain calls and texts i mean they're really simple things and you know what we what I think is, is gaining a lot of traction and recovery alongside of what we've been talking about is this idea of human connection really being the the biggest part of the process. You know, there's really this. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting his name. There's there's a guy. He's been he has like the biggest TED talk about addiction. What is his name? Talks a lot about this connection. The only one I can think of off the top is is Brene Brown, but I'm sure. But there's plenty out there. I really like um, <clears throat> I like Daniel Siegel as well, but I'm pretty sure that's not who you're talking yeah. about. No, I of course I can't think of it now. I've, I've seen his material a million times, and I can't think of his name. But there's yeah, one. Com- there's one by uh, Johan Hari. That one's that's it. About that's it. Right there. That's wrong. Yeah. That's that's the one I'm thinking about. Yeah, he talks about the Rat Park experiment and on all of those. And there's just <laughs> so many truth truth to that, you know. So human connection really really is the most healing factor. We cannot do this uh, alone. As, as much as people would like to do recovery uh, on themselves, uh, it has never worked, and it will never work. In my, it has never worked in the past, and it won't work in the future. You know, uh, ever. So. But it's an interesting. Yeah, I know that. Go ahead. It's an interesting. Uh, I want to call it a lie that is perpetrated in our brains. Right? Is that we have to do it alone? We can't trust anybody. Everybody that we've known has been unreliable. And but but you're right. That connection, which often we hear called the antidote to recovery um, or to yeah. addiction, is because we we have to feel like we belong somewhere. And we haven't felt that way for a long time, right? And we've got so much self-loathing, yeah. so much shame, so much 
of those pieces that to continually go back to a, to a person or a group of people and know that they love you and care about you and they know your deepest, darkest secrets, there is something so healing and that just that place of belonging and acceptance that makes our bodies just take a deep breath and go, oh, I'm not as flawed as I thought I was. I think I'm going to be okay, right? And, and then all the things yeah. that you talked about, Andrew, which were fantastic of just having that phone call, having someone to... To be able to, I think about the Jahari window where it's got the four squares, the stuff we know about our stuff, the stuff other people know about us and we don't, the stuff everybody knows about us and we know about us. And then, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the Jahari window, right? We need people to reflect back to us because we can't see it all. And it's it's absolutely essential that we connect. Um, but it, it, it feels opposite to addiction because addiction is isolation and withdrawal and all of those pieces. And it's 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 an interesting dynamic. I love that you bring that up. Um, I, and I appreciate you talking about what was the hardest for you too in your recovery, because it's um, you know everybody everybody has a story, whether it's recovery or whether it's healing or whether it's just on the the journey of you know being a human being, and and we all need that you know these helpful pieces to help us on our own journey and recognize what we might need. Um, along that path and maybe it's somatic experiencing and maybe it's more mindfulness and um, and all of those pieces of wholeness and connection and so I love that you've talked about those and and shared some of your uh, passions around treatment Um, and Andrew I'm wondering too if um, I'm sure that other people are going to want to connect with you they're going to want to learn more about what you're doing and and maybe even do some work with you um, maybe give some ideas of how people can connect and get a hold of you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, email is, is the best way at this point. Um, of course, I'm on, on LinkedIn and various social media platforms. But, you know, my email, it's my name, Andrew Wilkinson, and then the letters SEP at gmail.com. And I check that pretty frequently. So that would that would be the best way. Excellent. Awesome. Um, Andrew Wilkinson, thank you for being on with us today and sharing your wisdom and your, your experience. Um, super powerful story. Um, um, and I've learned, I've learned a lot from you as well. So thank you. You're so welcome. Yeah. Thanks for asking me and I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Thanks for being on Andrew.